So there was a guy named Bill Bright who used to do Campus Crusade for Christ. And he used to tell this story about a a place called Yates Pool. And it said, during the Depression, this field was a sheep ranch owned by a man named Yates. And Mr. Yates wasn't able to make enough on his ranch operation to pay the principal and interest on the mortgage. So he was in danger of losing his ranch. And with little money for clothes or food, his family, like many others, had to live on government subsidy. And day after day, as he grazed his sheep over these rolling West Texas hills, he was no doubt greatly troubled about how he would pay his bills. And then a seismographic crew from an oil company came into the area and told him there might be oil on his land. They asked permission to drill a wildcat well, and he signed a lease contract. And at 1,115 feet, they struck a huge oil reserve. And the first well came in at 80,000 barrels a day. And many subsequent wells were more than twice as large. And in fact, 30 years after the discovery, a government test of one of the wells showed it still had the potential flow of 125,000 barrels of oil a day. And Mr. Yates owned it all. And the day he purchased the land, he received the oil and mineral rights. Yet he'd been living on, yet he'd been living on relief. A multimillionaire living in poverty. And the problem was that he didn't know the oil was there, even though he owned it. You know, the thing is, is I wonder how many Christians live exactly like this. They don't know what they have. They're living a defeated, basically in spiritual infancy or in spiritual poverty because and continually condemning themselves for what's going on and in constant condemnation because they don't realize what they have. They don't actually realize what was accomplished in Christ. You know, and I think about this in my own life, and I lived so much of my life this way. It wasn't until I I met Pastor Mike, who is my pastor, who actually explained the gospel to me, what it really was. And it wasn't about a list of rules that I had to follow, but it was about a relationship and about a changed heart, something inside of me that was different. And I was able to climb out of living in, in spiritual poverty and always at the bottom and always failing and always beating myself up for it. Anybody else here ever condemn yourself for a failure? I know I've done that before. I mess up and begin to just beat myself down. And the enemy, is, he's, he's happy because my, my sin is now on, my focus is on the sin and not on Jesus. But it's because I didn't actually realize what was accomplished for me in Christ. And there's so many Christians that even right now they walk around and they don't realize what was actually accomplished for them and inside them when Christ went to the cross. They don't realize the fact that they are actually completely and 100% victorious in Him. So they live a defeated life instead. And they continue on in slavery even though they've been set free. There are so many people who are still walking around in chains and don't realize that the lock's already been clicked. They're completely free, but they choose to walk in chains even though they've been set free. But church, the reality is is that We don't have to continue living like this. We can know that we are saved. Do you guys understand what a huge privilege and blessing that is to be able to actually know that you're saved? There's not another religion in the world where you can know that you are right with God. Because all of them are kind of a, we're going to wait and see type thing. You know, you, they, they have their list of rules and regulations and all these things that you have to do. And at the end of your life, you're going to hope and stand before your God and, and everything's going to weigh out better in your favor. 
that you're going to meet all the requirements. And they're hoping that they make it that way. And it's not like biblical hope where it's a done deal. This is kind of like, I hope it rains tomorrow type of hope where you're not really sure. You don't know what the outcome is going to be. But church, we can know that we are saved. We can know that we're not under condemnation for our failures. We can know that we are children of God and we can know that we are co-heirs with Christ to the kingdom of heaven. And the only thing that we must do to grab a hold of that is live according to the Spirit instead of trying to do it all in our own strength. That's why I've entitled this one this morning uh, as we do our 15th part of Romans according to the Spirit. And this is how Paul starts it out. You remember I gave you a sneak peek last week. But Romans 8 verses 1 through 2 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You guys missed a fantastic time to just say amen and hoot and shout and holler. There is no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's good news, church. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. You see, that's the thing is no condemnation is something that we have to really get our heads wrapped around we really have to understand and and get a hold of this as christians to not just and even not even just get your heads wrapped around but you need a revelation in your heart to understand that you are not condemned what if i mess up pastor wayne you're still not condemned what if i screw up you're still not condemned but pastor wayne you don't know about the stuff that i've did before i met you still not condemned pastor wayne you don't know what i did this morning still not condemned in christ we are not condemned it says therefore is not a lot of condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say that. It says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not a single bit. But unfortunately, for the, unfortunately that even though God doesn't condemn us, there's so many times that we let others condemn us. Or even worse, we condemn ourselves for our failures, our mistakes, our shortcomings. But if we ever really want to walk in victory, we have to understand that if God doesn't condemn us, how can we condemn us? The Scripture says, who will... Ah, what is that? I'm, I'm drawing a blank here. Uh, someone's got to help me here, though. Huh? The one that says that uh, who, who will... Uh, who will bring an accusation before God's elect? Something like that. Oh, for crying. Where's Joseph when I need him? <laughs> Hallelujah. I'll, I'll remember later. But basically, the gist of it is, is, is it says, who will bring an accusation against the children of God? Against God's children. There's, there's, there's no one that can bring an accusation. If God doesn't condemn us, who can condemn us? And it's a head knowledge is not going to cut it. Education is not going to cut it. A nice, um, a, a nice Facebook post that reminds you that you're good enough is not going to cut it. We need to have a revelation that we're not condemned in Christ. Because there are so many Christians that walk around trying to feel guilty enough for their, their, their mistakes. It's one of the reasons every time that we do communion, I try to remind everybody that communion is not about you getting right with God, but it's about recognizing that you're already right with God if you're in Christ. We don't have to feel bad enough about a mistake for God to say, 
okay, you're, you're sufficiently racked about this, so we'll go ahead and let it slide now. Because Jesus paid for it long before you ever did it. Truthfully, there's religions built around this idea that somehow we have to make amends or atonement for our sin. And the thing is, is if we could do that, then why did God send Jesus? If it was possible for us to make up for it, why did God send Jesus? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, at the same time that we need to understand what this does say is that there's no condemnation, we also have to understand what this does not say as well. First off, it doesn't say that we won't make mistakes. It doesn't say that we're not going to fall or that we're not going to stumble. And you guys all know, if you've been around long enough, you guys know that I believe that Christians can live without sin. That's why Jude one twenty four is my favorite verse in the Bible. It's because it says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. That means that we are able to keep from stumbling. It wouldn't say that if it wasn't possible, if we'll keep our eyes on him. But I also recognize the reality that even though it's possible, it may not be likely. Because the problem is, is every now and then, we all take our eyes off Jesus for a moment, and we trip and we stumble. It's like when I was riding my bike, when my eyes were on the road, I was doing just fine. But as soon as I put my head down, bam, there was a trash can right there. Trash bag. And next thing you know, I'm over the handlebars with a separated shoulder and in the ER. With my, my wife, it must have took her like three hours to get there. When, that's what it felt like. I'm on the side of the road, I called her. I can't, I can't imagine it was more than 10 or 15 minutes, but it felt like three hours. I'm like, just get here. Ugh. But I took my eyes off the road for a second. And that's what happens in our Christian walk is we take our eyes off Jesus for a second. And the next thing you know, we're tumbling headlong into something that we didn't want to do. I recognize that we don't live a perfect life. But I also need you to recognize that if we do fail, this is what 1 John 2, 1 says. It says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you that, so that you may not sin. It's possible to not sin. He says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We have an advocate if we do make a mistake, and that's why there is no condemnation if you are in Christ. This means that if you fail, that you're not doomed to hell. This means that, that your position before God is not based on your latest mistake. You know, there are some people that feel like that, that uh, when things are going good, they're all right, but if they make a mistake, if somehow they don't get back right with God, they're, they're doomed to hell. They hope they don't get, get into an accident between now and the time they can figure it out because, you know, they're, they're, they're heading down the wrong, the wrong door. But the truth is, is that our, our right standing before God has nothing to do with what we do because we're not condemned in Him. It has to do with our eyes being on Him. Is our trust in Him? Do we abide in Him? Does He abide in us? The truth is, is that Jesus paid the price for all of your sins, not just the sins that happened before you got saved, even ones that happened after you got saved. We also need to understand that this doesn't mean that there's no consequences for sin. Just no condemnation. We're not going to be condemned to hell for making a mistake, but you will certainly still see consequences in your life if you sin, whether you do it intentionally or unintentionally. If you sin, there will be consequences. If a person were to kill somebody, there would still be forgiveness available. 
if they were in Christ or if they came to Christ. But it's still likely that they're going to be imprisoned for what they did. There's a consequence, a difference between consequence and condemnation or even consequence and punishment. The consequence to our sin in this particular case, if somebody murdered someone, the consequence is they're going to spend the rest of their life in prison. But it doesn't mean they can't be forgiven. It doesn't mean that they won't be condemned to hell if they give their life to Christ. Or if a Christian man in a moment of weakness were to, to be unfaithful to his wife, he would still find that he's not condemned before God. But he also may find that he doesn't have a wife. Because there are differences between consequences and condemnation. Doesn't mean that a person can't be forgiven can't be forgiven, but there will always be consequences for sin. But it's great news that we don't have condemnation or condemnation that there's not a way out. That's why the scripture refers to being convicted by the Holy Spirit, not condemned. Condemnation says that there's no hope, there's no done for, but conviction says screwed up, but here's how you get out of it. Here's how you, you find redemption, here's how you make you out of it. And the reason that's possible is because Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death. The law says that you screw up, you die. But Jesus died for we could live. It means he, he paid the price for us. That's what it says here. We've been set free in Jesus Christ from the law of sin and death because he already paid the, see, he already paid the price. He took all the condemnation for sin upon himself so that we wouldn't have to bear that condemnation. You know, it's funny. Not a single one of us that would attempt to pay one of our bills twice. Matter of fact, if we paid a bill and we got that bill again from the electric company or the phone bill, no one's going, I guess I'll just pay it again just in case. We're going to call them up and start cussing and yelling. Well, I hope you don't cuss. Yell a little bit, but no cussing. By the way, I heard you asked if I cussed when I crashed. (laughs) I did not. (laughs) Hallelujah. But we would never pay a bill twice. So why do we try to do it spiritually so often? Jesus paid the price. We try to pay it ourselves. And he goes on in verse 3 and 4. Can you move it to 3 and 4? This thing's a pain in my rear. For God has done, verse 3, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. See, that's the thing about the laws. The law can only clean the outside. At best, if you could follow the law perfectly, it would only clean the outside. You look nice and shiny from the inside, but the... The core problem would never be fixed. And as we discussed over the last couple of weeks, the law really can only show you how bad the problem really is. And its weaknesses is that even if we can finally see what the problem is, we can finally see clearly where our shortcoming is, there's nothing that we can do about it because the law doesn't have the ability to fix what's going on inside of us. It's like Paul said last week, I agree with the law of God, but the members of my body are subject to another law and we can't fix our problem we can't live right enough to clean the inside and even if we could live right enough that it would clean us from the inside it would just leave a void an empty void it has to be filled with something as well 
That's why that, that when Jesus went to the cross for us, he didn't just die for us, but he rose again. Jesus became just like us. It says, for God has done what the law weakened by flesh cannot do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Jesus came just like us. He was a man just like every one of us. And he became a baby and grew up and he went through the same stuff all, that all of us had to go through and he had the same struggles and I bet he got mad at his mom sometimes. And I bet he said, why are you getting me in trouble? And it was his own decisions. But he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. That means he came like a man just like us. He was tempted just like all of us. Matter of fact, the scripture says he was tempted in all ways. None of us are tempted in all ways. We have our own ways that we're tempted. But Jesus was tempted in all ways and did not sin. And he came to live the perfect life for us so that he could become the once and for all sacrifice, the once and for all payment. Offering to pay what we owed. Because the, requir- the requirement of sin is death. And he became that requirement for us. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So like a sacrificial and unblemished lamb of the Old Testament, our guilt was transferred to him. See, if the guys out there can honk an amen, you guys should be right up there with me. I mean, I gotta, that's what Jesus said. Even the, the trees and rocks will cry out. I gotta wait for the cars outside to cry out because I can't get an amen every now and then. Oh, you guys need to talk every now and then. <laughs> and God didn't just brush the law aside. That's my favorite thing. And I've told you guys this before, but it really is. Every time I think about this, it just blows me away because God didn't just brush the law aside he didn't just say yeah that was a pretty good go didn't really work out now we'll try something different he he fulfilled the law in his son he didn't set aside righteousness he didn't set aside the requirements of the law but instead he sent his son to pay the price and he completely fulfilled the law in his son the requirements of the law are still there whether we're subject to it or not And the only reason we're not subject to the law is because Jesus became subject to it in our stead. This is why in Matthew 5.18, Jesus said, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. The requirements of the law are still there. The requirements are still true. The only difference for Christians is that Jesus paid the penalty for us. He, He fulfilled the law for us. Done faith on our part, and if we will walk, In the Spirit, that's what it says here, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, to walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. spirit. Well, first, by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And second, it's by yielding to His Spirit in your life. Letting Him work through you. This is what Philippians 2.13 says. It says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. The truth is, is if we try to walk according to our own strength, if we try to walk according to the flesh, we're going to fail. We'll never be able to live up to the demands God has set forth for every single person's life in his law. God knew that. That's why he sent his son. But if we walk according to the Spirit, with our faith placed firmly in Jesus Christ, and we're walking according to the Spirit, and 
And that fulfillment, that requirement has been fulfilled in Him. And the great part about it is, is the believer lives a righteous life, not in the power of the law, but actually in the power of the Holy Spirit by a changed spirit, a changed heart inside of them. Finally, the believer can live righteous where he couldn't even if he wanted to before. And then in Romans 8, 5 through 8, it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Do you know there's really only two types of people in this world? There are those who are of the Spirit, just Christians, and there are those who are left to their own devices. That's everybody else. If you're a Christian, your mind is set on the Spirit and your mind is set on the things of God. If you're a Christian and those things are not true, you should readjust your thinking and put your eyes where they should be. Because a Christian that has his mind set on the Spirit and on the things of God has their eyes concerned and and their mind concerned with the things that God wants, but those who are not of the Spirit, they're only concerned with their flesh. As you know that selfishness is ingrained in all of us before the fall if you're not born again selfishness is who you are it's it's from birth that's kind of how it works when you have a a newborn baby they're not doing a whole lot for you they're expecting you to do a whole lot for them they're concerned with their own well-being and and when they're crying it's because they need something and then as we grow up, we see kids, you actually don't have to teach kids to lie. You don't have to teach kids to steal. You don't have to teach kids any of those things. They'll eventually, because it's, it's what's, we're born broken, that's what's on our heart. Selfishness is who we are, and we're always looking to fulfill the desires of our own flesh. And the reality is, is that we can actually even do the right things for the wrong reason. When we first started this church many years ago, we had a men's meeting, and one of the things that we talked about was doing things for the right reason. And the right reason to do anything is out of love for one another, out of considering somebody else is more important than yourself. But even those that do good can sometimes do them for selfish reasons. I mean, there are so many people that, that, that do something for other people, not necessarily to be a help to them, but to say, Look at me, look at me, look how nice I am. Look how good of a person I am. Look how caring I am. And somehow they do a nice thing for somebody and the focus gets put on them. And this is because people that live according to the flesh have their eyes and their minds on things of the flesh. But the reality is is that for these two types of people, there's only two outcomes as well. If you're not of the Spirit, death is the only outcome. That's what the Scripture says. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. I don't know about you guys, but it didn't take me very long to figure out which one I wanted to be. You know, we live in a world today that somehow thinks that if we educate people, or if we pass enough laws, if we do all these things, then everything's going to be okay. If we if we go ahead and, and, and teach people about these things, and particularly like now, the, the education they're trying to do is many times contrary to the law of God anyway, what God wants anyway. But I remember when I was in the army, they actually uh, went from eight to ten weeks for basic training 
shortly after I got out. And what they were integrating in when I started was pretty much getting ready to do like a week-long session of sexual harassment training. Now, it's good that men or women aren't sexually harassed. It has no business being in the military, really in any aspect of our life. To harass people is not okay. But education and training is not going to fix the problem. If you have somebody that, that is acting that way, telling them they can't isn't going to fix the problem. They probably know that it's wrong. They just don't care. They need a changed heart, not a changed textbook. It's not going to make a difference. No amount of education or training that's ingrained inside of us. The truth is, this has to do with where your eyes are at. If your eyes are on the things of the Spirit, then your minds are the Spirit. But if they're on the things of the then that's what comes out. And without a life change, without being born again, none of those things are actually going to change. And they've actually proved this statistically. We've seen it time and time again. In the, in the 90s, they took a group of Washington children and they participated in an eight-year smoking campaign program. And at the end of it, the results didn't turn out to be so impressive because of the group that went through the program, 25.4% now smoke regularly. In the control group, those who did not participate in the study, 25.7% of them smoke regularly. It didn't make a difference at all. Training and education is not what we need. People need a changed heart. In the same token, laws are not going to fix anything either. Just as a Christian, I believe that we should vote. We should put people in office that align with our viewpoints. But the truth is, is that no amount of Christian laws is going to change the world. Jesus is the only one that can do that. And the reality is, is that if we could get people saved and focusing on Jesus, putting their minds on things of the Spirit, then all of a sudden the laws would naturally come out of that, be, be laws that align with the Word of God. But no laws is going to change anything. It's Jesus that people need. And then we also find that those who are unsaved, the, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God because it doesn't submit to God's law. People don't even realize it, but they're enemies of God. They're hostile to Him. And the truth is, is because it's impossible for them to do anything else. Unless you're saved, unless you're mind is on the things of the Spirit, there's nothing that you can do. Because it's impossible to please God without being saved. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And no amount of good stuff is going to do it. That's why people are basically a good person. Well, the Scripture says that without faith, and if you're in the flesh, that you cannot please God. Isaiah 64, 6 says, we have all become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our inequities like the wind take us away. All of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. You want to bear that it's talking about. Other scripture, other translations say filthy rags, but it's even worse than that. The truth is, is that our good deeds without Christ are worth nothing. Romans 8, 9 through 11 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. And anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. 
And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. I always like the, the stuff like that, however, or but, all those, those lines in the Bible, because they're important, because he says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. See, but Paul just spoke of the dangers of having your mind in the flesh, but he reminds us that as Christians, that's not who we are. You see, what we just talked about a second ago was an objective discussion of the two types of people, but now Paul addresses us. Christian readers reminding us that we are in the group that has the Spirit. We are in the group that has our mind set on the Spirit, that our mind is set on godly things. And he says that we belong to Him. Because anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him, which means that anyone does belongs to Him. And what does it mean? What are the requirements to belong to Christ? truth is, to have the Spirit of Christ is simply what we refer to as being saved, to be born again. If you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you belong to Him and He belongs to you. But notice I said that He has to be your Lord and Savior, not the Lord and Savior. He needs to be your Lord and Savior. And if you don't belong to Christ, you fall into that second group. And he goes on to say, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your immortal bodies to the spirit who dwells in you. You know, the Bible says that the last enemy, enemy to be put into subjection is death. And it says that uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, 25 through 26, if you want to read it, but because of sin, the reality is, is that that unless the Lord tarries, every single one of us that are living right now are going to die someday. But our spirit lives. We have eternal life. And we've been made brand new in Him. And the reality is, is that in the resurrection, when Jesus comes back, we're all going to be given new bodies. We will be raised just like Him. And we're going to have new bodies that will not die. Because the reality is, is that in Jesus, death is beaten. It has no sting in our lives. Amen? And then Romans eight twelve through 13 says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. I do want to be clear. It says here that, brothers, we are debtors. Not to the flesh, but to be clear, we are under obligation. Not to the flesh. We've been freed from the flesh, but we are under obligation to live according to the Spirit. To let Jesus live through us. And he says, brothers, we are debtors, not, not to the flesh. We're saying we're debtors to the Spirit to live according to the flesh, because if we live according, but if we live according to the flesh, you will die. What does it mean that you will die? What do you think he, he means when he says you will die? I don't think it's referring to a believer going to hell if he sins. And the, the literal translation is very much close to this, is if you, live according, if you are living according to the flesh, you are going to die. What it means is that that's all there is for you is death. There is no life in your life, in other words. That you have nothing, that, that, that nothing can be accomplished 
through you. It's just like when Jesus was talking about, he says, what good is it when a, when a, a branch is not producing fruit, it's no good but to be thrown into the fire? I don't believe that's talking about Christians going to hell uh, if they're not producing fruit. What I think it means is if you're not producing fruit, you're worthless for nothing else but to be burned up. You can't produce fruit. You can't make an impact. You can't make a change. If you're a Christian and you're still living with your mind set on the flesh, you're ineffective. The truth is, is that when you live according to the flesh, you just look like another run-of-the-mill sinner. That's why so many people don't want to be Christians because so many Christians look just like the rest of the world. And the worst part is, is that when we live like that, we don't have to. It's not a requirement. We are not in debt to the flesh. It's not a requirement anymore. So what do we do then? How do we ensure that we will not die, that we will not be ineffective, that we will not be worthless in the kingdom of heaven? He says, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So what does it mean to put to death the deeds of the body? It means to let the old man die. When you got saved, the old man was dead and gone. That's why we have a baptism is about the old man dying and then a new you being raised out of the water, being pulled out of the grave and raised to newness of life. Your old man is dead and gone. He's not around anymore. Let him die. And quit bringing him back. Quit letting him sneak back into your life. Put him aside and put on your new self. And only in this way can we live if we stop letting the past, our history, all those things creep back up in our life and keep our eyes focused on him. And he continues on in verse 14 and 15. He says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Church, we are children of God. And what that means is that we enjoy all the benefits of what the Father owns. We are heirs. But just like in a real family, there are responsibilities as well. In our house, if you're one of our kids and you can ask them all as much as they didn't like it, they had chores to do. That was part to living in the house. <laughs> you know, we have responsibilities as Christians to be heirs of Christ, to be heirs to the kingdom, and that is to be led by the Spirit. For all those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And it's true that the people of God may not always keep the law perfectly. And I recognize that. And I fall more times than I would like to admit myself. But unlike unbelievers who are condemned for all eternity and stuck in those failures, Christians aren't condemned. And we're exempt from God's judgment and condemnation. And it doesn't mean we can do whatever we want, right? We still have obligation. We're still required to live according to the Spirit, but one misstep, one failure is not going to condemn us to hell. The truth is that the Spirit inside of a believer is what gives us life. It's what gives us freedom. And I've said it many times before, it doesn't mean we're free to sin. It means we're free from sin. We actually finally have the freedom not to sin, to enjoy the liberty in Christ that only salvation brings. And it's just like a skydiver. If he was jumping out of an airplane 10,000 feet above the ground, he is still subject to a greater law, the law of gravity, right? There's nobody that jumps out of an airplane and doesn't fall. Even in cartoons, they walk out and they're walking fine, but as soon as they look down, the law of gravity kicks in, right? And they start shooting to the ground. And suppose that same skydiver says, you know what, I want to be free 
from the shackles of this parachute. I want to be free from the confines of this thing on my back. What is the outcome of that? The truth is, is that when the skydiver chooses the constraint of that parachute, he makes it to the ground safely. And that's kind of how it is with Christians. God didn't put his, his rules, his laws in place because he wants to ruin our fun, make things worse for, worse for us, or, or make our lives miserable. He did those things are there to protect us, to keep us safe. Because he loves us. God's moral law is the same way as that parachute as it, as it restrains us. But it's absolutely necessary to enjoy true freedom in our lives. Because we want to be free from those things that the law was telling us to stay away from. It says we didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but we've received the spirit of adoption as sons. The truth is, is that we are bond slaves because we've made the choice to stay because of the care and love of our God. We're children of God and we are loved, but just like our own kids, there's an expectation and requirements. And he has the same things for all of us. But the reality is, is that being the children of God has such incredible privileges. I don't know if many people understand what he's saying here. The spirit of adoption of sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, how important or how much weight that actually carries. The word Abba was only reserved by those who were, who were natural born kids. You couldn't just call anybody that. It was only your actual father. But we've been adopted in as sons, and we can, we can use that term of endearment that's reserved only for natural children to, to our God. The privilege that actually is is amazing. And the words that he chooses, and it's just like when your, your little kid comes up to you and cries out, Daddy, Daddy. You know, that's reserved for your kid. And we have that right with God. And I find that amazing. And then we're going to finish up here in Romans 8, 16 through 17. It says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our, God, with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, and heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Did you know that the Holy Spirit doesn't testify to our spirit, but with our spirit? That means that the Holy Spirit is in agreement with our spirit that we are children of God. As a legal act, Roman adoption had to be attested by witnesses. And remember that when we're seeing these things, this is what they're looking at at the time, but in, like I said, in Roman adoption, it had to be attested by witnesses. And the Spirit is your attesting witness that God adopts us in Jesus as His own children. And he testifies with our spirit, the two are in agreement with one another that we are children of God. The Greek word for provided here, he says that then heirs, heirs with God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him. Anybody ever been scared by those kind of verses in the Bible? You're like, what is that supposed to mean that I have to suffer with God? Well, first off, this word here, the, the Greek word is, is iper, I believe is how it's pronounced. And what it actually means is, if, as is the fact. So you put that in there, it says, 
that, and if children, then heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if, as is the fact that we suffer with him. First off, our suffering is a fact. It's not a maybe. So the question is, if, if that's the case, then what does it actually mean to suffer with Christ? And suffering with Christ is actually twofold. First, we suffer with him by faith. You will never actually physically have to pay the penalty. Nobody in this room is going to have to go and die on a cross to pay for your sins. But we do that by faith with Him. The Scripture says that we died with Him, that we were crucified with Him, and that we were raised with Him. The Scripture says these things. So how is that the case? Because none of us are going to actually physically go through those things, but we do it by faith. We share in the sufferings by faith. We share in the pain of the cross by faith because He took our place on those things. He did what we could never do. And then we're also going to share in His glory by faith as well. But I also believe that secondly, we're going to share in persecution. Jesus said in John fifteen eighteen, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. The truth is, as Christians, we are going to suffer persecution. And, and in the United States, we actually have it pretty easy. We don't face too much of it. And I don't know how that's going to change as time goes by. But we will face persecution. And, and they don't hate us for our own sake. They hate us because they hate him. Church. I want you to know that in Him we're no longer slaves to sin, no longer in bondage to death, no longer a slave to the, to the law of sin and death. We have been killed, we have been buried, and we've been resurrected to newness of life in Jesus Christ. All these things, like I said, by faith. And as a result, we are heirs with Christ to an imperishable seed, something that never can be taken away, nothing that can be stolen away will keep our eyes on Him if we, if we are, are walking according to the Spirit with our minds set on things of the Spirit. We are children of God and we're loved and uncondemned by Him. Amen?